Hey y'all, hope all is well as we approach some big holidays. Hello. You're back with Abby and Daniela on Gimme the Creeps this week. And um, I do feel the need to, from the jump, give a warning, but there will be warnings sprinkled throughout this episode. Mm. So yeah, to today's episode, there's going to be some real disturbing and graphic details. So be wary if your heart cannot take it anymore. Um, this will either do two things. It'll make you, you know, figure out how desensitized you still are to true crime, or it'll wake you up and be like, okay, I'm in the wrong entertainment field. Let's try some comedy or something else. But um, I wanted to return to some of the dark content that we usually touch on with these true crime cases. And yeah, as always, no disrespect to the victims or their families. This case is very tragic and very sickening. With that being said, it uh, this case brings two things. It happened in November and there is some cooking involved. So be warned. Oh, no. Let's jump in, I suppose. So Joel... Michael Guy was born on February 10th, 1955, and Lisa Madeer was born on August 8th, 1961, but they would cross paths later in life. They married and had a son together, adding to Joel's family of three daughters from a previous marriage. Joel Jr. certainly was the baby of the family and seemed to have always expected things to never change. He was in for a rude awakening, and sadly, so were his parents. Oh, my. So Joel Guy Sr. was a pipeline engineering designer, and Lisa was a human resources accounts payable administrator at Jacobs Engineering in Oak Ridge. They are currently living in Knoxville, Tennessee at this time, but have just sold their home. See, their plan was to retire to a homestead in Sergoinesville, Eastern Tennessee, and it was Joel Sr.'s mother's home in the mountains about 90 miles away. Joel is 61 at this point, and Lisa is 55, and they cannot wait. The loving couple had been married for 31 years and were ready to spend time together, just the two of them. Here's the problem. They had never been alone together entirely uh, because Joel Jr. had always lived with them, being supported by them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any of this ringing a bell yet? Um, actually, I almost listened to this story. Ooh. I've never heard it before. I don't think. Ooh. But I almost listened to this story on another podcast uh, this morning. I'm glad I did it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Really weird. We can get your first reaction here. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people have heard of this one. So here we go. So... Joel Jr. Born on March 13, 1988, Joel Guy Jr., named middle name and all after his father, recalls his reservation from his younger years and into adulthood. Joel Jr. has been described as reclusive and solitary, staying in his room most of the time. He graduated from Louisiana School for Math, Science, and Arts in 2006 and spent a semester at George Washington University but dropped out. He tried to go to LSU for training in plastic surgery medicine, but withdrew in 2015. He continued living at the Baton Rouge apartment, being there a total of 10 years, which meant when he wasn't living with his parents at one, 
11434 Golden View Lane in West Knox, Tennessee, they were paying his bills. Nine years in school without graduating and all. So when he was 28, he had never worked a job in his life life up until then. And when Joel, Joel Sr. was let go from his job, he felt it was time to cut his son off. Lisa was earning a small paycheck and he had lost his job. They wanted to retire. So that's when they put this plan into action, selling their home and hosting a final holiday there. In November of 2016, the guys invited their children and six grandchildren for Thanksgiving in the old family home before reuniting in Sergoinsville that Christmas. The holiday arrived, the daughters were there and left, but Joel Jr. wasn't leaving until after the weekend and planned to head back to Baton Rouge where he lived on Sunday. See, he didn't physically live with them, but they financially supported his lifestyle. However, as the daughters heard during this gathering, the parents were putting an end to this. Joel Jr. would have to find his own way after Thanksgiving. Joel Jr. might have had a hunch. It's unclear if the parents had ever had this conversation with him before, but he began preparing his own plans. As his sisters had a pleasant last visit, he plotted and packed for his final visit. Last warning, because this is going to be gross and cruel, and the details are truly disturbing. Days went by with no contact from Lisa and Joel Joel Sr., and when Lisa didn't show up for her work at Jacobs Engineering, even missing her retirement party, coworkers grew very concerned. It didn't make any sense. So a total of four days had gone by at this point, um, and she hadn't answered any calls from her home phone or her cell, so Detective Stephen Ballard went to a went to do a welfare check at the request of her coworkers. Knoxville County Sheriff's Department was in for it. Upon knocking at the front door, ringing the doorbell, there was only silence. Walking around to the back, the fence was locked. Ballard notifies dispatch that there isn't a response. Coworkers didn't give up. After an hour had passed, they kept trying to reach her. Ballard heads out again for the second time, this time joined by Detective Jeremy McCord. So they're looking through the window, and uh, something catches their eye. They see bags of groceries on the ground in the foyer. They see beer, deli meats, ice cream. This is cause for concern because those would have needed to be refrigerated. Something is off for sure. They also realize that the back doorknob was actually taken off and replaced onto the front door. Weird. The back doorknob opening where the knob would be, uh, they can feel heat emanating from inside the house, and they can smell chemicals. Oh, I think I do know this. Ooh! You've heard, you know this part? Oh, I don't like this part. If it's... Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm mixing up two stories, but um, if there's an animal involved, I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh, let's see. So... They're still looking around. They're confused. The, there's no sign of forced entry. The cars were home. They tried the doors of the vehicles, and they were able to open the garage using a garage remote from inside one of the cars. They get into the home through the garage. Upon even opening the door, the temperature inside is alarmingly warm. The stove was left on. On a table, they see Joel Sr. and Lisa's wallets with a sledgehammer lying on top and some long guns. Um, on the table as well. The odor in the air is overbearing. It's like chemicals and something else. McCord immediately feels something is wrong. They begin climbing the stairs, seeing blood, and as they went up, it got worse. More and more blood. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, not just blood anymore, as they see two hands lying on the carpet. 
Oh, my word. Severed hands in what looked to be the praying position. Mm-mm. The officers walk on, hearing a dog barking. They announce oh. themselves and Wait, warn that <laughs> they announce themselves and warn that they are checking on their welfare. No answer. They are looking for someone missing their hands, injured but hopefully still alive. They see plastic lining the floor in the bedroom, bathroom, and a water hose connecting to the shower instead of a shower head. There's a large knife in the sink. Then they find two large tubs on the ground. There were body parts floating in homemade acidic chemicals. Oh my goodness. There were cleaning supplies and chemicals all over the house from the back door to the upstairs floor. It was a scattered mess. As the two detectives pulled themselves together at this gruesome crime scene, they call for backup and begin canvassing the neighborhood. As the officers reached out to the family to ask questions, Michelle, Joel's daughter, who lived in Knoxville, agreed to inform her siblings of the crime. She also agreed to provide photos of the family at the Thanksgiving prior to these events. Forensics arrives and begins their investigation, finding the thermostat is set to 90 degrees and space heaters are set out all throughout the home and left on. This was intentional as heat will cause DNA evidence to become harder to collect and speeds up decomposition. A pile of clothing cut off with scissors sits at the top of the stairs. The crime scene worked like a puzzle piece piece by piece as the investigators put the events in order. Workout equipment was overturned, knife marks in the futon, blood in the hallway and bedroom, and the groceries in the foyer. Then the receipts. Upstairs in the bedroom, bathroom receipts were dated after Thanksgiving Day, and there were two receipts that read November 26, one from noon and one from 3 p.m. One had peroxide purchased on it. Surveillance from that Walmart shows Lisa Guy arriving at the store purchasing the items found in bags in the foyer. She was seen leaving, and the police time-framed this timestamp as when the attack began. Something lured her upstairs before putting away the groceries. The attack began in the workout room, they concluded. They combed through the surveillance for that day to see when the second receipt was printed. 28-year-old loser-ass Joel Jr. is seen waltzing his lazy ass into the Walmart with visible wounds on his useless hands. Mm -hmm. He bought Band-Aids and alcohol and peroxide, treating his baby hands with these items. (laughs) This was... I couldn't help myself. This pissed me off so much. They combed through the surveillance for that day to see when the second receipt was printed, and so they see that. And then, uh, this was in they had an aha moment. They were shook because they didn't even think it would be him or could be him. They assumed that he was back in Baton Rouge just as his half-sisters came and went back to their personal lives. The authorities figured out that he had done the same, but he hadn't. He didn't have a life. He had nothing of his own. So then it didn't take long to for them to put together what had happened here. Lisa and Joel Sr. had been mercilessly mercilessly murdered, and due to the planning materials left behind, it was clear that their own son had done this. Detectives drove to Baton Rouge for Junior, and forensics find the ultimate evidence back at the house. A backpack, including a manifesto, was found at his parents' home. Junior had left his backpack with his medical books and syllabus inside, and they found notes on what he might inherit when his parents died. Even more disturbing, they find that he determined he would get even more money if one of his siblings also died. Oh, my goodness. So they call ahead, and uh, the Baton Rouge uh, authorities are notified to arrest Junior on site. It's dangerous at this point. Potentially 
more killing or who knows what this person is capable of because we haven't even finished up with the state of the home, the crime scene. So remember how I, ugh, remember how I mentioned that the detectives noted that the stove was left on? Mm-hmm. They didn't check on that right away. So when the forensics team arrived, they did. Walking through the house, you can hear the pot on the stove with something cooking within it. When they looked inside, they found Lisa's decapitated head. Oh my God. I thought something else was in there. Oh, my oh God. no. <laughs> The, de- the detectives had also heard a dog barking upstairs as they climbed the stairs. A dog was locked in a bedroom upstairs, so the dog was okay. It still pisses oh. me off, though. It was 90 degrees. Yeah, that dog was, ugh, it was hot in there. And not to mention what he might have seen or heard or just the trauma of it all. Yeah. So the dog was alive, but yeah, he was locked in a bedroom upstairs. Uh, blood spattered the walls and hallway, and on the ground by the Bowflex machine, uh, there was more blood. So that, I guess that's how they concluded that that's where it all began. But I don't think they know exactly how everything happened. Uh, then the tubs found in the bathroom containing the rest of the remains, those were the biggest pieces of evidence, The pile of clothing at the top of the stairs had been cut off with scissors following the murders, and next to the clothes lied baking soda, liquid fire, drain cleaner, lye, hydrogen peroxide, muriatic acid, bleach, and bleach sprayer. Nearby was a suitcase that had a note in it with the name of the Ace Hardware Store and a notation about the sewer line cleaner. The home was hazardous with all the fumes and fluids, I'm sure, and the team had to wear hazmat suits to process the crime scene. Joel Jr. was arrested a day after the discovery of the bodies and charged with two counts of first-degree murder, felony murder, and abuse of a corpse. He was taken in on Tuesday, November 29, 2016. He was arrested outside of his East Baton Rouge Parish apartment Tuesday as he walked up to his car in the complex parking lot. He had a meat grinder and gasoline canister in the trunk of his car. At his apartment, they found a dog bone and a tub of acidic solution, some sort of experiment to see how long it would take to dissolve. The sledgehammer was to be used to break bones into smaller pieces is what it seemed, but they only figured that out when they read through his notebook. His hands were cut up badly and he left the cleanup unfinished when he was arrested Uh, So Saturday, November 26th, in the afternoon, that's when he committed these heinous crimes, left on Sunday back home to to his apartment on the 27th on Sunday. Then the bodies had been discovered Monday, and the 28th is when, uh, on the 28th, that's Monday, and then he was promptly arrested on the 29th. So that's just a quick timeline of everything. While being questioned, he mentioned talking to his parents about money but didn't disclose any motives. The handwritten damning evidence can be found online, but I can read a few highlights of the notes. So heading to thecrimewire.com, there's images of the notebook that they took pictures of, and um, I'm going to read from those. Let's see. It's like a checklist with like to do. It's like a to-do list slash what he needs to buy in order to do it. It's like really detailed. So titled this page killing says get knives quiet multiple get sledgehammer crush bones bring blender and food grinder grind meat get bleach denature proteins get plastic bin for denaturing process does not matter where they're killed just get rid of bloody spots to prevent evidence of time of death not the mattress or couches 
Get carving knives to make small pieces. Get rid of bodies inside house. There and my DNA already there. Flesh chunks down toilet, not garbage. Open up doggy door to provide entryway. He scratched that out, so he must have nixed that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's just very, very detailed. It's so embarrassing. It's like he thought he was so smart, but he couldn't even complete a single task. Um, mm-hmm. So cleanup mess for him. It just goes on. So there's there's a ton. And uh, cut off his arm and plant his flesh under her fingernails. So he was going to really stage this like they killed each other if if they were to find the bodies. Um, Let's see. Where does it say? Guy Jr. carefully listed the methods he would use to kill his parents, then destroy evidence. In his note, it said kill dog. That was crossed out and replaced by take the dog with you. But we both know now that he left it upstairs. Just... uh, horrendous so police found the dog locked inside a second floor bedroom incessantly barking the note goes on to detail how he would begin the forensic manipulation process and dismemberment place her in shower turn on a hot shower and point it at her to get rid of forensics remove her clothes take them with me for disposal cut off his arm that's so freaking so um place her hand with his dna so that his dna is not washed away by shower so he was even gonna like I said, stage it. Place hair curler with flammable paper and flammable containers of gasoline in four locations. His killing room, her killing room, his bathroom, her bathroom. He labeled. It was just crazy. So it goes on. And then the the ultimate thing, though, is assets. This, t- this page says assets at the top. Her assets, her life insurance, $500,000, possibly more with double something. With him missing slash dead, I get the whole thing. All her other assets are joint. Go to him if missing, unknown if he is dead. His assets include all property. If missing, when he gets all joint property, also gets joint debt. Knoxville House, homeowner's insurance, possibly but probably worthless after fire. Owe $100,000. Sir House, appraised at 400000 worth with uh, something on property. Her car, his SUV, his boat, his old truck. So he, all of their assets. So that's all they were to him is pretty much what you get out of this. Just horrible. So a motive as old as the sun, but what kind of monster would so callously and brutally murder his own parents? Um, Yeah, so that's that. And then back to my notes here. Um, The trial began late September of 2020 when the then 32-year-old son, Joel Jr., got to hear about what he did with a blank facial expression. The jury heard the deliberate and devastating injuries made to the victims, his own parents. Joel Guy Sr. was 61 and possibly on the workout machine. 42 stab marks with 12 marks on his ribs that ranged from scratching the bone to severing them. The knife damaged his lung, kidneys, and liver, His shoulder was torn severely with a fragment of the weapon uh, deposited in the muscle tissue, the muscle tissue. His hands were severed. (laughs) His hands were severed with the wrists or his hands were severed at the wrists and arms at the shoulder. His legs were removed at the hip. According to the court records, his right foot was severed at the ankle. He had fought fiercely for his life. His hands were cut, showing his defensive wounds. His clothes were then cut off of his body with scissors and left in a bloody pile. When Lisa returned from Walmart, Joel Jr. stabbed her 31 times, causing 21 severe injuries, 
stab wounds to the buttocks, and nine severed ribs were left. Um, Yeah, the blows were so hard that he he was breaking her ribs. Her legs were cut below the knee and her arms at the shoulder. They were dismembered, uh, and their body parts were placed in those blue tubs in the bathroom. Wait, so did he did he ambush her when she came Yes, in? yes. She didn't have a chance. I think she brought the groceries in, and as soon as she sat them down, he began um, stabbing her. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, and that's where it's unclear. I might have just missed it. There's a few different sources that I used. I used All Things Interesting, the com the crime wire and I used Boston 25 news and the mirror, but, uh, and Wikipedia a little bit too, but I didn't find if they ever got a full confession out of him. Like I walked in the door, I replaced Mm -hmm. the, the knob. Uh, so if I'm missing that, sorry guys, but yeah, it, it does not state how I'm sure he ambushed the dad because the dad looked like he was quite a bit stronger than he would have been. And he waited until the mom left so that just shows that he would have been easily like overpowered. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that as soon as she put the, the the groceries down, there wasn't blood everywhere either. So either she headed up the stairs or he dragged her upstairs as as he was attacking her. Uh, yeah. So it's just it was just awful. And I, who's to say you know he was even finished with his father whenever she got there. And maybe that's what caused her to go up. That just breaks my heart. Like spending 31 years with your partner and, you know, being excited to be retired and hang out and whatever for this to happen, just horrible. Um, And the dog, you know, maybe the dog lured her because she heard him barking. I have no idea. So yeah, she was stabbed a total of 31 times. And also it should be noted that the coroners also couldn't tell after dismemberment, how many times exactly they were stabbed or, you know, if there was anything other other than that done to the bodies before dismembering, they couldn't really tell afterwards. So, mm-hmm. so she returns from Walmart. He stabbed her 31 times and then her legs were cut below the knee and her arms at the shoulder. So yeah, 45 gallons of homemade acidic solution is what the bodies were floating in except for his mother's head that was in a pot on the stove, as you recall. Mm. Uh, and um, a big thing that they point out with this case is there were guns there were other ways you know suffocation he wanted to brutalize his parents this severely right you know which is just so disgusting it's just so horrible so on october 2nd 2020 joel michael guy jr was found guilty of two counts of premeditated murder three counts of felony murder and two counts of abuse of a corpse and was sentenced to life in prison with four additional years after that tacked on for the abuse of the corpses but guess what his entitlement it it still exists so let's let's head over to an update real quick of course it does so this article is knoxnews.com. It's it was published on November 17th of this year, 2022, and it's by Liz Keller and here it goes. Joel Guy's appeals argument centers on whether he was a guest in the home when he was killed or when he killed his parents. So this is what he's trying to say now. He's now 34 years old and he has appealed his conviction and the motion denying him a new trial. Jonathan Harwell, his Knox County public defender, wrote 125 pages to a three-judge panel at the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals explaining issues with the evidence. But in his 
oral presentation this week, Harwell honed in on a very specific legal argument, whether Guy, who was visiting from Louisiana to see his parents for Thanksgiving of 2016, was technically a part-time resident or simply an overnight guest. Either of those categories would give Guy a reasonable expectation of privacy, Harwell argued, and the police shouldn't have walked in without a warrant even when they suspected something was amiss. What the fuck does that even matter? He killed people. It's still, right. So this is why it's so complicated whenever cops approach a situation, you know, because here we go, we're going to try to say, and that's the problem is that sometimes it works and somebody gets, you know, less years or whatever, and it's just horrible. So, Oh, that is mm. so shitty. So Assistant Attorney General Garrett Ward, of course, disagreed. He argued Guy rarely visited his parents' home and any protected status as a guest was extinguished the moment he attacked his parents. What happened to Lisa and Guy, to Lisa Guy and Joel Guy Sr. after the family Thanksgiving celebration? On November 28, 2016, a patrol officer responded to the Guy's Golden View Lane home after a 911 call from a coworker of Lisa Guy who was worried because she had not shown up for work. The officer went to the house but didn't see anything alarming. Later that day, the coworker called 911 again with increasing concerns because Lisa had not shown up for a goodbye luncheon. At some point, the real estate agent who was selling the house told detectives there was a garage door opener in one of the vehicles at the at the scene. When the officers entered the garage, they testified they could smell decomposing bodies. At trial, Knox County Sheriff's Office Detective Jeremy McCord said the carnage was the most horrific thing he had ever seen. The investigation quickly honed in on Joel Guys Jr. after police found evidence linking him to the killings, including a detailed murder notebook inside the backpack. Persecutors alleged that Guy, a perpetual student who had never had a job, began planning his parents' murders in early November after they told him they were planning to retire and would cut him off financially. Did the act of murdering his parents negate Joel Guy's right to privacy? Here we go. So when police walked into the home's garage, they violated Guy's constitutional right to privacy, Harrell said. Prosecutors argued the homicides extinguished that standing. Harwell said Guy should be considered a resident of the home because a bedroom there was earmarked for his use, although it was not his childhood home and he actually lived far away. He had a key to the house. He came and went as he wanted, Harwell said. A different argument could be made for Guy's standing as an overnight guest. Harwell continued, adding that even though Guy left the house to go back to Louisiana to get medical care for his cuts on his hand, he clearly had the intention to return. Harwell argued Guy's expectation of privacy comes first no matter what happened during that stay. Oh, my God. Police can only enter without a warrant in an emergency aid exception, he said, designed for urgent and imminent harm, such as when police see a trail of blood or hear screams. There was nothing like that here, he said. Prosecutors argued Guy never actually lived in the Hardin Valley home and had moved away from his family more than a decade earlier. As for Guy's status as an overnight guest, Ward said his parents welcomed him into the home and Guy spent Thanksgiving with them and helped them move a boat before murdering them the following day. When Guy killed his parents, Ward argued his status changed from guest to intruder because the homicide destroyed the relationship between the host and guest. Yes. When they fought back, it was no longer reasonable to suggest he is still a permitted guest in the home, Ward said. Ward also sought to counter Harwell's argument against exigent circumstances, saying that the calls from the coworker had escalated in urgency and there also was a need to prevent the destruction of evidence. The appellate court 
judges have no specific time frame in which to make a decision. If Guy loses this appeal, he may appeal to the state Supreme Court. Go ahead. Go to the Supreme Court so they can tell you that you're a dumbass. Hopefully. That makes sense. I know. Isn't that so messed up? His that status is fucking insane. Like as a guest. That's what's so wild. Is like I feel like that should only matter if like it were to have been like an altercation between them. Like if they had fought mm-hmm. and like something like that, you know? Like if he had right. like assaulted them, just assaulted them, not like killed them. Fully killed them, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Then that would that would make sense. But he fucking I mean, he killed mm-hmm. them. Like what yeah. like annihilated like fully yes i don't understand (sighs) i mean on what grounds like that's another thing too is like he has no he has nothing in his name like not he owns nothing the car they paid for it the house Mm -hmm. that was theirs even his apartment like he has nothing if it was his property perhaps he would have some grounds to be like you didn't have a right to come in here regardless of the stench and the dog barking upstairs i don't understand so he had the nerve to uh, pull that out this year. I guess a few years in prison, he's over it. He wants the comfort of home again <laughs> or something. Christ. Ugh. So, yeah, um, he's a piece of shit and mm-hmm. he deserves to rot. But uh, his mother. So here's another thing, too, is the reasoning and all of this that completely he doesn't care about that. Apparently, his mother was a stay at home mom and only worked to give her son most of her paycheck, according to her friends. The couple had 31 years of a happy marriage, enjoying family and the great outdoors. They planned to retire out in the mountains and enjoy time with one another, and that was taken from them after they had given so much to him. Just truly disgusting. All jurors had said guilty. His lawyers tried to say he could serve life, but not the additional four years for the abuse of the bodies. They couldn't – they didn't want him to do that. So – They tried it, and the judge was like, he believed Joel was proud of what he had done, and there was no chance of rehabilitation for this man. And he uh, he said, no, he's gonna ha- he's gonna serve the full time. Hopefully, with this new entry of his, you know, requests or whatever he's trying to get out of, they hold their ground because it was just uncalled for this violence. Like I said, he could have shot them with the gun if he wanted it to be quick. He didn't want it to be quick. Yeah. Horrible. So, uh, and also while in prison, he apparently threatened to gouge out his fellow inmates' eyes in order to have a cell to himself. So he's just still all what entitled. Fucking spoiled he just, piece of shit. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And when I heard he hadn't worked a single day in his life, I was in shock. I was shocked. Ugh, that one is a doozy. Crazy. Honestly, like what goes through people's heads? You know, some people have really messed up parents. Not to say they deserve to die or anything, but this guy, I don't, where does he right, get off? Right. I fucking hated my mom, like despised her growing up and never once did I consider, oh no, no, no maybe no. you should kill her. Like what? No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he is just delusional. Delusional. Yeah, dude. That's fucking crazy. I... It's fucking Mm-mm. terrible. I'm also upset about the dog. Uh, I know that he left him or he was going to kill him. Who knows? I, yeah. All in all, everything was left unfinished in the comments. I also watched um, that chapter. It's an excellent YouTube true crime 
channel and I was watching him cover it and the comments, the top comment on the YouTube was, uh, this guy couldn't even finish this job. <laughs> like, <laughs> it made me laugh, that's but I was funny. like, that's really messed up. Let me look at that. Actually. <laughs> Cause it was perfectly worded for what probably everyone was thinking. Right. Let's see. That's oh, funny. Yeah. But oh, he- <laughs> um, well, the top comment is actually sad. It said the dog howling, crying for his dead owners was also heartbreaking. But the second comment saved it because it says that was probably the most work he'd done in his entire life and he still left it undone. Yep. And he still fucking fucked it up. What a fucking. <sighs> yeah. Ugh, I can't. So. All in all, he's a piece of shit, and hopefully he gets what he deserves in prison because that's just horrifying. Um, yeah, they had grandkids, and they had a, a retirement, and they're, all these photos of them, like, they're just embracing each other. Like, you can just tell this was a loving couple, and when you hear about everything that happened to them, it's just so traumatizing to even just hear. Judge Stephen Sward called this case the most extreme form of abuse of a corpse that he has seen in his 25-year career. Mm. Golly. And a lot of the, the officers that walk through the home, they also, they, they're like, the smell sticks it sticks with you, and also the, the images are just something you'll never forget. So Oof, I can just, oh my mm. God, I can't. Um, the smell, like, her Right, and the heat. Oh, yeah. my the God, sound of the the simmering sound and the dog bark. It just is all just a horrible, like a nightmare situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, guy was found guilty on all charges, including two counts of first degree murder, three counts of first degree felony murder and two counts of abuse of a corpse. According to Knox County Judge Sword, the jury found him guilty unanimously on all seven counts. The judge told Guy Jr. that he thinks he's smarter than he really is, saying that the crime was committed in a very unintelligent way. According to WBLT-TV, Judge Sword said Guy Jr. showed no remorse for his actions during the trial and even appeared proud of his actions. He also said Guy Jr. was a depraved mind that would not change over time. Guy Jr. will not be eligible for release for 130 years. However, during sentencing, Judge Sword said 300 years is enough, isn't enough time to reasonably relate to what Guy Jr. did. Yeah. Mm, the family... It really is, like, honestly. Um, the family posted a combined obituary for their parents, describing them both as having a sense of humor, loving, and kind-hearted. They were married for 31 years and described as soulmates. They enjoyed anything that involved being together, which included being in nature and on the water. They loved their kids and adored their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it also happened during COVID, so all the images, everybody's got masks on, and Joel Jr. has... That freaking clear shield over his face. Yeah. So you can clearly see that he has no emotion towards what he's done. So anyways, that was that. And now we can all be grateful for our families that we have instead of treat them like how this person, (laughs) just thinking that there are people like this that are just going about their holidays and maybe their demise is being plotted in the background the entire time. Crazy. It's a busy time of the year, I guess. I don't know. Definitely. So don't say that. That's scary. Isn't that weird? I I'm thinking, okay, so they did mention that they had the conversation with Joel, and I wonder if his reaction didn't scare them at all. Like 
They tell him, we're cutting you off. You're going to have to stand on your own feet. And I wonder if it was silent or if he was like, okay. And then he just already knew what he was going to do. I just makes me really wonder. That is creepy to see like the craze mm -hmm. in his eye. If Lisa got to tell any of her coworkers, like my son is a little bit scary. Ugh. I wonder. I know. And she loved him. Like she, she really was trying to, I'm sure they, her and her husband had that conversation before. Like, okay, we got to financially let him do his thing. And she was probably like, Mm -hmm. no, just a little longer. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Anyways, I'll leave you guys with that. And, um, let us know what you think. I don't know. Should I put a question for this episode? Um, what would it be? You don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I saw that uh, Anchor automatically puts a question in now, and it says, like, what did you think of the episode? So I guess people oh, can just that's interesting. Okay. respond if they feel mm-hmm. the need to. Um, hopefully the dog is doing okay. Uh, <sighs> I'm glad nothing happened to him, but wow. Mm-hmm. So everybody enjoy your Thanksgiving with your loved ones or, you know, however you enjoy it. And make sure you join us again next week for another episode. Don't forget to give us a follow over on Instagram. I, I don't want to say Twitter anymore. What's going on, Elon? What's going on over there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. Abandoned mm. shit. <laughs> yeah, sure has. Well, see you later. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter at G-I-M-M-E, The Creeps. Submit any stories you have that you'd like to share with our podcast, and we will read them out for you. Thank you guys so much for joining, and thank you once again for all of your support. So, did we give you The Creeps?